So what do y'all want to talk about? <laughs> I've got something. This is a uh, King James large print uh, leather bound Bible with no editorial comments or footnotes that uh, I was looking for for several months. I knew I owned it, I knew I had it, I knew I had read it before. Oh, you found it? So, turned out that Nick had taken it <laughs> to uh, Madison, Wisconsin with him. So he sent it back and I forgave him for stealing a Bible. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to read this because my other Bible has so many uh, misguided notes in it that I, it was hard to read because I read my own notes and I didn't want to be influenced by the bad things I'd been taught. So I wanted something clean. <laughs> and I just want to read one verse that caught my eye in First Corinthians. And uh, one benefit of reading, I'm not advocating a translation here, but one benefit of reading this old English is it makes you slow down. Mm -hmm. You don't just skim over sure. the words like, I know what that means, I know what that means. Like, mm -hmm. like what, is, what does that mean? What's that word? <laughs> so that's one benefit. But it says in First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, You've heard this before, and when I read it to you, it's going to trigger something in you, and I guarantee you it's going to trigger a memory of something that's not true. You ready? Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. You ever hear that before? Oh, yeah. Sure. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Now, if you have a tech when he's jacked up 102, 103, 108 courses in church where they teach you about finances, it's really a, uh, it's really kind of a scheme by which to funnel you to the conclusion that I should tie. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much what it is. <coughs> Crown Ministries, I'll throw it out there. I'll throw them under the bus. It's to teach you what God expects of you, and what he expects of you is to support the church financially. Okay, that's this is one of the verses used because if you're in possession of something, you're expected to be a good steward, right? And most people uh, think because they've been taught that what this is speaking of is the material possessions in this world, or relationships, or positions of influence. And if you have those things, you need to be a good steward. That's right. And being a good steward means being faithful. And being faithful means being obey means obeying being a good steward. <laughs> right? Does all that sound familiar? Yes. But I was reading this, it, it, it just was so apparent what this really means. It is it's, it's almost like a state, a question that answers itself. Moreover, it is required in stewards. Okay? So there's something that is required to be a steward, all right? You got you with me so far? If you disagree, just hold your tongue. Okay. If you're a steward, you're being you're in possession of something that you're you you can steward, right? Right. Because if you're not in possession of it, you can't be a steward of it. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. What is it that you have to be in in possession of in order to be? A steward, that a man be found faithful. If you have the faith of Christ in you, you're in possession of that faith, 
and you can share it with others. You can be a steward. But if you don't have that faith, if you're not faithful, if you're not full of faith, you don't have anything to share with regard to the faith of God, which is the Son of Man. See what I'm saying? You're a steward of faith. <laughs> You're a steward of faith. It has nothing to do with possessions and talents and treasure. It's just the faith. So if you have the faith of God in you, you're a steward. All you have to do is back up one verse to see what he was talking about. Yes, right. What's the verse before, Tom? Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. There you go. <laughs> so right. the mystery of God hidden from the beginning is what? The faith of the Son of God. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Mm -hmm. What God always intended was for his eternal life to be in us. But if, which is equivalent to the faith, right? Mm -hmm. So if that's not in you, you can't possibly be a steward of that. I keep saying this a lot to people. They're, this season, allow me some religious language, right? Because I sound more spiritual when I use that word, those words. During this season, I've been doing this a lot, and uh, I realize it takes my lightning fast brain a while to catch up. But I realize whenever I'm doing something repetitively, it's the Holy Spirit, and it's for a specific reason. Um, but I've been telling everybody a lot recently that the apostolic letters are the interpretation of Jesus's doctrine. And that we're not meant to read the gospel accounts to formulate our ideas about doctrine. <coughs> you can find doctrine there because it's all revealing the doctrine of Christ. But what we want to understand about the apostolic letters is that they're coming and writing down and discerning the doctrine of Christ for us. That's their ministry. And the church is supposed to be founded on what they wrote about the things Jesus said and what was revealed in Jesus. Right? And so the, the reason why I bring that up is because I find a lot of people read the Gospels and want to create doctrines that they don't find the apostles teaching and then they pull out things out of the gospels and teach things that are standing contradiction to the things the apostles taught and they never stop and wait right and so bible interpretation 101 since i may not live long enough to ever have a, a bible college in the sense of of the world's view bible interpretation 101 if you read something in the gospels so this doesn't mean you don't read. If you read something in the Gospels, if you read something in the letter of Acts, the letter of Acts is also the same way. You can find doctrine there. You're not supposed to go there and try to pull out doctrine by your own understanding. You're not supposed to read through there, find fanciful stories, and then create doctrines out of the stories that you find. You're supposed to read there and then let the apostolic letters form the doctrine that's contained there. And then you use that to weigh. Right? The body of Christ would save a lot of people, save a lot of suffering if we just did that little thing. But Bible interpretation 101, as you're reading through the Gospels, as you're reading through the book of Acts, as you're reading through the Old Testament, you weigh those things with what you see the apostles teaching in their letters. And if you don't find something you want to extract from those things in the apostolic letters, then there's a good chance you're misunderstanding it. Yeah. No doubt. There's a good chance you're seeing that something is there, 
but you're not really seeing exactly what's there. Now, I love how Thomas brought this out because guess what Jesus taught about in one of the, one of the Gospels? Stewardship. And being a good steward. And it's called the parable of the good steward. <laughs> now, what we, what Thomas is uh, mentioning, and whatever ministry, whatever ministry he mentioned, I promise you, is not the only one. No, that is doing that. Because what happens is, is if your tra- par- the parable of the talents is a, is another one. Right. And and th- this isn't to disagree with what Thomas said about this word, because we we firmly stand in agreement. There is a treasure. The treasure just isn't uh, money or worldly things. There is a talent. And you know what a talent is? A talent would be like a big bar of silver or a big bar of gold. That's what a talent would be. It's not your ability or your gifting. The talent would be like a big bar of silver, a treasure, quote unquote. So there is a treasure, right? But Jesus talked about the good steward. And you see, we read the good steward, and we we find we find that we think we're very smart and we're very wise, right? And we read in our own interpretation in there. Mighty men of God, we've all done it. Mighty women of God, they've all done it. Yet the Apostle Paul comes and defines the parable of the good steward and interprets what it's all about. Did you see that? Did you see how Paul did that? Now, I suppose if Paul stopped and told everybody, Every single verse he was referencing and quoting and explaining, we might never have even gotten the Bible. Because it's like it says with Jesus, if we had recorded every single thing that he had done, the, all the books in the world couldn't contain it. I mean, I find it in my own life. Some people have said, well, you don't stop and quote all the scripture references. And I said, where do you see Jesus or any of the apostles stop and quoting the scripture references? They didn't have them. And so you're just referencing the scriptures. But Paul's explaining what the good steward is about and what Jesus was teaching about being a good steward and what he was teaching to Israel. They were not good stewards. And do you know what they were given? The oracles of God. It wasn't money. It was the gospel message. It was the beginning of the doctrine of Christ that Hebrews comes and talks about. That says you in the time where you ought to be teachers, you're in need of being taught all over again. Because they weren't a good steward. In the time when you ought to be eating meat, you're in need of milk again. Because you still have never even understood what the law taught, that it was the beginning or the introduction to the doctrine of Jesus. And so the oracles of God, the introduction to Christ, the introduction to the mystery, the shadow was given to Israel. And they were not good stewards with the shadow. You can find lots of scriptures about this in the Old Testament. My people perish for a lack of knowledge. There's a way that seems right unto man, but the end their way of that way is death. And so God gave them the oracles of himself, his doctrine. He gave. And they weren't good stewards with that doctrine. Because they were not faith-filled. That's that's what the point I'm getting at, what makes a good student and a bad student. Well, just, just they, let, they weren't faith-filled. Just let me finish, Thomas. Well, I wanted to interject that because that's the whole point. But Paul also gives shape to what the whole point is when he talks about being a good steward. Because being a good steward is not just that you said the magic prayer. That's not what it means to be a good steward. This is what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. So if you go look in the letter of James, all those guys were filled with Jesus. 
None of them were good stewards. In the letter to the Galatians, all those guys had believed on Jesus. None of them were good stewards. And in fact, the whole letter was to rebuke them for not continuing in the faith, that they hadn't kept the faith. And so being a good steward is that someone has given you the faith, and now you're not a forgetful hearer of that faith. That doesn't mean you use your willpower to go off and remember it all the time. What it means is, is you have not counted as common what you heard, and you continue to unwrap that with yourself, with your friends, with God, with one another, whichever way you like it. You continue to hear the faith, right? Paul also talked to Timothy about committing the message to faithful men. Now, that could be man or, or woman. And what he meant was people that would be faithful are good stewards of the message. People that were grounded in the message, that weren't going to turn away from the message. That when persecution came for the sake of the word, that they wouldn't turn away from the message, which is what the people in the letter of James did. Right? When persecution came for the sake of the word, they left the message. They weren't continuing in the faith. That's why faith had become powerless in their life to produce the fruit of the Spirit. That's why I talk all the time about hearing and hearing and continuing to hear. Because actually within the faith is the power of God to form His life in you. Right? And it isn't just about one day in the sweet by and by. To Thomas's point, yeah, faithful. And I know what he means. Faithful means that you continue in God's faithfulness towards you. I know that's what he means, but for anybody watching, I don't want it to be lost. We're not talking about going to heaven one day or that one day in the sweet by and by you'll have life. We're talking about having the faith, the treasure, the talent that was given to us now. The faith that was revealed in Jesus Christ is the gold that Jesus says, buy of me gold, that your eyes might be anointed, that you might see yourself clothed in the life of God. That's the treasure. That's the talent. God has given us this faith. It's precious. It's been tried in the fire. It's been proven to be able to produce a life that even overcomes death in the flesh. It's been proven to be able to produce peace and love and joy in a person, even as they're being nailed to a cross. It's been tried in the fire. To be a good steward of that is that you continue to hear it. Right? Because persecution will come. And persecution does not just mean... Let's say Thomas gets mad at me one day and doesn't like the message I preach, and he starts slandering me because of what I said. Persecution does not just mean people not liking you or people talking evil about you. The world will persecute you if you preach the gospel because it is the antithesis of the world. And just like God predestined that we would be conformed in his image, the world is desiring to conform you in its image. And the way that it does that is it tries to force you into its mold or into its wisdom or to continue in its wisdom. And so God predestined that we be conformed to the image of Christ. And the world will persecute you. Jesus said, the world hate will hate you because the world hated me. And to be faithful isn't to be a good steward, isn't that you got to get it right to stand in faith. It isn't that you got to get it right to uh, believe right, to be good stewards mean that you are persuaded that the faith is what's precious. And then you continue to hear it and you continue to encourage one another in it, right? Like when I call Thomas, Thomas will encourage me in the faith. 
He's not going to help me fornicate with the world or the system in the world that will only bring destruction. Even if I'm like Esau in that moment, crying day and night about how bad my situation is and how horrible it is. You see, Thomas is a good steward, right? He's faithful with the message that was given him. And that doesn't mean his willpower. It doesn't mean he flexed out and he's done the this great thing, and look how faithful he is. Faithful is more of a passive action, where you see how faithful God is to produce life in you, and you continue in that truth. And then you remind other people of that truth. And that's what Paul talks about when he says, let those who are spiritual restore people who have fallen away from grace in the spirit of meekness. Paul was faithful. He was a good steward. And these people, the Galatians, had fallen off. They had turned away from the faith for the sake of persecution. Persecution came to them, and they completely completely abandoned the faith. And now Paul comes in as one who's spiritual, and he starts reminding them of the faith because he's a good steward. Thomas is a good steward. If somebody called me and needed ministry because they were suffering, and I couldn't go there, I could call Thomas, and Thomas could go there with the message. I could call Matt, Annette. I could call any of you guys, and you would go with the message, right? Because you guys are faithful with the message. Do you know what? Even those words, they, they reek of human ability when we say it. They really do. And the carnal mind sees things as opposite of the spiritual mind. To be faithful is that you agree the faith of Jesus Christ is the talent. That's the treasure. And now you're just like, this is the treasure. This is the treasure. And nothing can move you off. That's the treasure. Sorry, Thomas. That's all right. I didn't want to rub you again. Uh, <laughs> Well, another aspect of being faithful is knowing where life is found. Yeah. And if you know where life is found, you know where it's not found. That's yep. Right. And so <clears throat> the more you're exposed to the truth, uh, the more easily you can, you can discern. Thank you, Callie. You can discern, uh, for example, you know, there was a problem with air conditioning. Well, uh, someone could react to that like oh my god America is gonna you know fall apart because we don't have air conditioning <laughs> is life found in the church gathering that people gathering every day or every sunday that's not where life is found we can come here and share where life is found so uh that's another aspect that comes to mind about being faithful it is a real benefit because it can insulate your heart against the lies and the false uh, advertising about where you can find life in this car and this dress and this shade of lipstick, you know, and this diet plan and this degree, you know, that's not where life is found. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't have a desire to go pursue something that you think you'd enjoy, but if you don't reach that, it doesn't mean that you've missed out on life. Sorry for piggybacking on what you said, but I had to, I wanted to get that out of me. Because <laughs> I, 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 I see it as a big problem. In the, not, in, that's why I brought it up. Not in this group, but, but in the no, world. That's why, that's why I brought it up because I was contrasting what I was taught and what yeah. I'm sure many of us were taught using that verse versus the reality. Yeah, and, and, and even in the um, quote unquote modern grace reformation, which is what some people are calling it, I won't call it that that you find a lot of those people still never really heard the faith. And they're, they're not steward, stewarding the faith. They're still stewarding the world. 
but now they're just using quote unquote faith to steward the world. So they've just replaced the works of the law with faith. But the end life that will justify you is the good life you can gain from the world, which, which is what to be justified by the works of the law actually spoke of. I know in our Gentile thinking, we thought uh, we performed the works of the law and then God was happy with us and that's justification. That's not what the ancient Hebrews thought. That's not what the Pharisees in Jesus' day thought. They didn't think behavior justified you. That, their justification wasn't found in acting properly. The justification was, if I perform these works, then my works will gain for me the treasure in the world. And in me having the treasure in the world, I'm justified. Yeah. It was having a good life that justified you. And the works of the law is what would gain you the good life. And they defined the good life not by God's immortality or God's uh, the fruit of God's spirit. They defined the good life by what Jesus called mammon. <laughs> the riches in the world. The good you can get to happen for you in the world. And what I find Christianity has done, and not just Christianity, even the... The, the modern grace reformation isn't really a reformation at all. It's the same thing, just cloaked in a veil to, to deceive and confuse people. They still think justification is found in the good life you can gain from the world. It's just they've now used faith, and not the faith, but your faith, as the instrument of exchange by which you're going to gain the good life in the world, and in having the good life in the world, that will be unto you being justified, or that will justify you as godly. Mm -hmm. And it's right back to perversion. You're serving mammon. I just want to say it like it is. I know we're also in an age of time where you can't speak frankly, because if you do, you're not in love, right? Forget about the truth. We just have to make sure that we don't upset anybody. Well, I find Jesus telling people they were serving mammon. I find Jesus upbraiding the disciples for their unbelief. That's called love, right? And we have a whole section of people that come out and grace, grace out of their mouth every day, just like Israel was Jesus, Jesus out of their mouth every day. And yet they're still serving them. And they're using faith. Then what they've done is they've used the word faith, but they got that word put on the coins that Babylon uses. Yeah, they hijacked it. Another way of putting it is... Uh, it's a carnal interpretation of Christ used to advance a corrupt wisdom. Yeah. That's the best way of saying it. In, in like, as succinctly as you can. Say that again, can you? It's a carnal interpretation of Christ to advance a corrupt wisdom. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and that's where those, that's what I like about being here is we, you can get back to correct definitions of things like sin and forgiveness and justification. And uh, they can actually make sense so that when you go back and read a verse that you read years ago, it's so obvious what it means because you've been taught the spirit. Yeah. And even words like faithful. Exactly. That's, it's, that's it's, what caught my eye. Yeah. It's more of a passive action. Isn't yeah. it beautiful though when you can read? And see what it says there. I've actually enjoyed it. It's it's so powerful. <laughs> that's why I'm trying. Listen, I try and encourage everybody all the time. That's the reason why I don't just abandon the scriptures and just preach like an evangelist. Because it's a beautiful thing when you read those scriptures and you start to see what they're actually saying. It really is. And I listen, no one felt more pain reading the scriptures than me. And I, I'm hard-headed. I kept doing it even in the midst of all the pain. I mean, I got notebooks full, and I know Thomas has similar experiences and probably some other people. I got so many composition books filled with all my principles that I took out of 
the the Bible to work in order to have life, it's obscene. The the Bible is not filled with principle working to have life. It's not. That's not what's there, right? What's there is the faithfulness of God to form His life in you. That's what's there, and the faithful faithful Abraham is that he saw God's faithfulness towards him, and he began looking in the scriptures to find the testimony of God, the mystery, like Thomas said, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And you begin finding yourself filled with life. What do y'all think? Sweet. <laughs> Makes me think of the verse where Jesus said, many will come in my name saying I am Christ and shall deceive many. When I was coming up younger, I, I was taught that that verse was talking about many people will come saying, I am Jesus. Well, there, there's a few idiots out there, but there's not. I wouldn't put the classification of many on it. But listen to what he said. Who's talking? Jesus is talking. Many will come in my name saying that I, Jesus, am the Christ and shall deceive many. That's how the deception got in there. It's because they come in naming the name of Jesus. Yeah. And it's no different with so-called grace circles today. They come in hollering grace and they don't have a clue. Mm. Hmm. Okay, put the shout back in. <laughs> That's a thoughtful word that it really clarifies what was being communicated there. It could be the other way too. Some someone could possibly proclaim to be Jim, a Jim Jones. But many. Yeah. You're right yeah. about that. And when you really read the whole context of it, it's very clear that that is what's being communicated there. And right. I never and I never thought of it like that. Language is an interesting thing yes, because we could be saying the same thing and use different language and think we're saying something different. Mm -hmm. Sure. You, you know, like with what Thomas was saying. I I agree with what Thomas was saying, and I just wanted to zoom it out. You know, like on your iPhone, where you can see a picture, and then you can grab your things and go like that, right? And you can see it a little more clearly. Absolutely. I wanted to zoom it out for people listening on the the live stream, so they could they could see it a little closer. And the same thing with like you just said. If someone, between what you and Matt just said, you both just said the same thing. If someone came to me saying they were the Messiah, or somebody walked into the room and said they were the Messiah, and I quoted that verse to dispute them, I would still be using the verse lawfully. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't be an unlawful sure. rendering of the verse. Right. But to Matt's point, if he takes his fingers in there on the iPhone and he stretches it and zooms it out, it, it's giving a more detailed warning, right? right? That is it, talking about people coming in the name of Jesus and, I mean, every church you go into, they pop open the Bible and read from it, don't they? Okay, well, what were the Pharisees reading from? Scriptures. <laughs> scriptures. The Scriptures. Well, what was Jesus reading from? Scriptures. The Scriptures. And yet they didn't have the same opinion about what they said. And it wasn't semantics, right? They had a completely opposite rendering. And so it's it's beautiful the, the way that happens. And we'll, I want to segue into listening to people's hearts, Right? And trying to stop for a moment and consider the heart of something before you decide what it means. 
because I find as human beings, we're walking judgment makers, right? <laughs> I mean, like yeah. we, we're just, we walk around judging everything. everything. And we're, I mean, I know we're getting into like quantum computing and all this AI stuff and they can process blah, 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 blah. You know, all those things are just trying to recreate the design of human and our ability to process stuff. All that stuff is just trying to take the, the design of man and build on or magnify the design of man. I mean, we're processing things like this quickly, and we're judging things all the time. We're judging what we see in people. We're judging what we hear people say. We're judging everything under the sun, and it, it can be helpful if sometimes we, we stop and consider what's the heart behind what's being said instead of establishing our own judgment, right? It, it can be helpful. In personal relationships, it can be helpful for people that like to debate the scriptures, right? And we'll just pick on Thomas and I. Thomas and I like to crack things open. And you ever seen those little dolls that you crack open and then there's another one and then you crack that open and there's another one. And you, it seems like there's no end to cracking it open. Well, if you get Thomas and I sitting in a room, we'll just keep cracking it open, cracking it open, cracking it open. And there's times we could get into our cracking or our dissecting that it, it can seem like we're disagreeing, but we're not. And one of the things I love about my friendship with Thomas is God has helped solidify something he was already teaching me. That, Greg, you decide what people think before you spend any time to consider what's in their heart. And we tend to interpret what people say by their words instead of asking, am I hearing their heart? And we could avoid a whole lot of conflict and argumentation if we could have that like half a second pause, maybe, and even if we just say in the side of ourselves, Lord, what are, the, what are they trying to say in their heart? I want to hear their heart. Lord. <laughs> On the other hand, <laughs> <laughs> which does, doesn't necessarily signal disagreement. <laughs> I found that uh, in, in, in cases reported in Puerto Rico, when you have a, a decision by the court, a very common phrase in the decision as it's written, it would begin with, on the other hand, and it would, it would segue into another point. Anyway, that's why that comes to mind. Uh, the truth can stand up to scrutiny. And some people are comfortable with scrutinizing truth uh, without taking the scrutiny personal. Yeah. Some people aren't. Yeah. Right. Some people feel that uh, a, 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 quote, attack or a scrutinization of a statement is a scrutinization of them as a person. Yeah. And this probably goes to the way in which I was raised and probably, you know, being in the law. I can separate the two, not always, but if you can separate the two, then I think you can be more teachable because you can put out there what you think you believe. And I, I heard some things today, this morning, that I, I, I weren't even in my mind when I was reading and talking about the verse I had in mind. That thing that Matt brought up was really cool. Really cool. <laughs> really cool. And so, and, and, and how Greg uh, expanded what stewardship had to do with uh, uh, being a, uh, a hearer continuous hearer, not, not, not being a forgetful hearer. Uh, if you're convinced 
of the person's heart, you're less likely to be offended, which means you're less likely to be to trip over the truth of whether they love you or not, I think. <laughs> or you're less likely to trip over what it, what is it that actually justifies you? Did other people agree with you? So if they don't agree with you and not justified in their eyes? Yeah, which would, would speak to all sorts of things. Right. Um, involved and we'll use a worldly term, personal growth. <laughs> because yeah. if, if you, it, what Thomas is describing, if you don't have that working in you, you'll never really allow yourself to be corrected because you are, you don't realize, you don't realize you're doing it. We're talking about the, the inner dynamics of the heart. You're trying to be justified by being right. And not just I'm right. It could have a much more innocent thing. You can even say, I want the truth so badly that you even feel so much pain at the thought of not being in the truth that you can't even be confronted with the idea that you ain't in the truth, right? And you do everything to kick against it, right? And it, it's, a, it's a powerful thing not to be justified that way and not to confuse the scrutinizing of what you're saying with the scrutinizing of yourself. You know, the scripture talks about submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Without this dynamic, that's impossible. It's either impossible or it turns into something that's totally carnal and perverted. Read, read that verse again. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Does anybody have any thoughts on that? What does it mean to uh, submit yourself to one another? I mean, someone might say, what does it mean? to submit myself to yeah. one another. It's to open my heart up to that person's heart. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, you're submitting yourself to hearing that person and considering, considering what that person's saying, not submitting yourself that whatever he says I'm gonna agree with necessarily, right. but opening your heart to hearing that person. Amen. That's the the one half of the equation, how does that happen? Because the verse also talks about what would bring that forth in a person. In the fear of the Lord. Right, so what would the fear of the Lord be? You're in awe of the truth. Yeah. Say it again, Kelly. To be in awe of the truth, like, you know, to fear, to be in awe of what's taken place. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. And what would that mean in your life personally that would allow you to open your heart to somebody else? Well, you can be fully vulnerable in that place. Right, and what, what would make you... Because your life is already found in him. I mean, like, your life is secure. Right, exactly. Exactly. Yes. exactly. Vulnerable is a good word. Yeah. 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 Otherwise, you're always going to be protected. That's why, I mean, personally, the desire to be right really, like, strikes a chord with me. And I was telling a friend that. I was like, yeah, I always like to be right. And then it had me thinking about that all week. Why do I like to be right so much? <laughs> Nobody likes to be and wrong. It, <laughs> well... I think it's, you know, the desire to be accepted, yeah. to be perceived as, like, you know, intelligent or you know what you're talking about, and out of protection. Because if you're right about something in the future, you can potentially protect yourself, you know, in that knowledge, so, in, like, quote-unquote, of, of being right. You know, a good life is found in being right. So yeah. if I'm right, so, then I have a good life. It's so funny, like, just functioning <laughs> in that place, like and I was just thinking, like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> 
but it was cool because like just saying it out loud hearing myself be so emphatic about wanting to be right and it was something silly it was about like guessing an ingredient in like a meal or something <laughs> 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 I guess you're probably too much joy oh my god <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, but it had me thinking Saffron? about it. <laughs> 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 yeah, maybe that's why your cookies are so good. Wait, wait, wait. What was I it? have a refined palate. Yeah. Cardamom. Cardamom. Uh, listen, when I, I beat Marie and Myrtle, that makes me feel really good. I'm much better. Allie, my whole life, I don't, until recently, I don't think I do it anymore, but I always said my three favorite words. You are right. <laughs> and I thought that was a good thing. So I have that as my favorite word. So what you're saying, life is found in guessing the right ingredients. No, I was just realizing, like, like you know, it, that was the starting point. I was just saying, no, I like to be right so much. And then I was like, why? Why is that? There's, there's shame if you're found to not be right. It's not some strange thing. It, it, it could take on a different label and different people or a different outward yeah. expression, but everybody has that, Yeah. right? It's, it's the desire to be seen to have what you should have, right? And if there is the truth, we'll use that word, then in order to have what you should have, you should have the truth. You already have it. Yeah. Or you should be in the truth. And if you're found to not be in the truth, or to not be right about something, you could feel like you don't have something you're supposed to have. And so then the feeling of shame comes. And then in, in an attempt to try to deal with that feeling of shame, you want to be right. Because that's how you would comfort yourself from the shame. It's a symptom of wanting a good life. None of us think a good life is found in being wrong. Does anybody in here think a good life is found in being wrong? No. I mean, you were thinking of an ingredient in, in a recipe. Well, if there's an ingredient in the recipe, the recipe turning out good isn't found in the ingredients being wrong. It's found in the ingredients being right. So none of us think being wrong is a characteristic of having a good life. And so all of us think a good life looks like being right. Yes. And so it isn't just that we're not right. It, it goes to a deeper level. It's that it's a sign that we don't have the good life we're supposed to have. Right? It, it's a sign that we're not as we ought to be or in the state that we ought to be in. Right. That's why I uh, brought up what faithfulness includes, and it includes knowing where life is found. Because yeah. Yeah. like Callie said, <clears throat> quite beautifully I think, uh, if you're secure that your life is in Christ, if you're persuaded of that, then, then um, you're not threatened by being wrong. Yeah. You're not threatened by uh, not appearing to be right or the smartest or whatever. That's right. And you can open your heart up to people. Because I don't want to move too far. I know we kind of kept building. But back to the verse Matt quoted. And I wasn't trying to pick on you. I was trying to get... I wanted you to express yeah. the whole thing for people. The fear of the Lord is that you stand in awe of His goodness towards you. You can keep building that out. You stand in awe of the life He has in Himself. Because you saw that life even makes dead bones live. You saw that life can even produce love towards people who were nailing you to a cross. That's kind of like, that'll put you in wonderment and awe. It'll put you in amazement. And so you stand in awe of the God who has that kind of life in himself that even shadows death. And even the, a death that can look like the death of the cross. And then you see that God who has that life in himself has given that you would have that life in yourself when he gave you Jesus. 
And like to her point, all of a sudden, you feel like your life's secure. So your life isn't born from the foundation of needing to protect yourself or needing to secure your own life. That has this inner working where you're able to open your heart to other people, right? And that's the only way to be submitted to one another. It's the same dynamic with husbands and wives. I like to throw up on myself every time I see people post on Facebook about how if the husband will behave properly to the wife, then that will be the power unto the wife now submitting. And if the wife would give her husband the respect he deserves, then that would be the power unto the, the husband submitting unto the wife. That's devilish. That's actually carnal. What it is is looking at the fruit that God would bring forth in a husband and wife and then saying if you will work that fruit, then you could bring forth apart from God what God would bring forth for you. And it has an appearance of wisdom. It's carnal. It's devilish. You submit unto one another by standing in awe of God, the fear of the Lord. Well, you stand in awe, right? And all of a sudden, you're not engaging with your spouse from the perspective of trying to protect your own heart or trying to protect your own life. You're not scrutinizing them behind the scenes thinking, what are they doing to try to hurt my life? And you're not interpreting the things they do as if they were doing it to try to hurt your life. You're not looking at whatever missteps they might have as if they were inconsiderate. Because you're finding God having massaged you unto a place of rest and peace and comfort knowing my life is secure. Right? And what will happen is in that dynamic, even should you have to talk to your spouse about a misstep, it won't be led with an accusation. What it will be led with is the knowing right, that they intended the best towards you. And now it's just an expression. And I promise you, you'll get a lot better response if you lead with kind words. Right? And you can't produce the kind words yourself. So don't turn this into a principle where you say, I'm just trying to show you how it works itself out. I'm not telling you the power and the right reaction is kind words. I'm telling you the way standing in fear of the Lord will work itself out in your relationships. Because I find I just say the truth and people don't understand how that could be. And so I want to explain how it can be. Right? And I'm in a season of explaining it. But I realize people... Let's see, there's that word season again. But I realize there's a lot of times people hear me explaining it and then they still try to work what I explain. Well, I would pick up this key phrase out of what you just said. <clears throat> You'll find that God... Mm -hmm. That's right. You'll find that God. You'll find that God persuaded you. Find that God freed you. Find that God... It's really something that happens. It's like forgiveness. It happens to you. It's not an act of the will. Yeah. It's, it's not an act of the will. That, that's absolutely right. And so the power for husband... You know the, the chasm between husbands and wives? Is they both worried about their own life. You know what happens? You put two people in a room that are worried about their own life? I just watched this. I just watched this horrible movie. I can't remember what it was, when it was on. It was horrible, and the, there was a bunch of people that were financially destitute, and they all needed some financial assistance. Oh, Squid Games. No, it wasn't that. It might have been some type of playoff of that. Um, it was a movie. It wasn't a show, and so they they all came to this ultra rich guy, and he sat them all down at the table, and he played this game with them where they all. I don't know what the name of it was because I was just like passing through. I can't even remember. I don't, I don't know where, where it was even on. But the people all had to choose either to do something horrible to themselves or something horrible to the other person. And by the end of the game, everybody that was sitting around the table would all be dead. Oh my goodness. And the last person left alive would be the one that got what they wanted. Oh my goodness. And at the end, there was two people left. 
And the... No, don't spoil it. I'm going to watch it now. Well, no, I don't, I don't know the name of it. And so I am going to spoil it. So for the sake of the point, the point, don't go watch it. At the end of the game, the two drew a card, and, and whoever got the right card got to choose. And the woman drew the card, and her choice was she can either, both of them can stand up and leave, and no one could leave after they decided to be there. If you tried to leave, they would kill you. Or she could take that gun and shoot him in the face and get what she came there for. Oh my gosh. Well, what do you think she did? As that guy was trying to plead with her about how great it is they could just leave now. She shot him in the head. I think we better delete this part. Well, <laughs> we're not going to delete the part, but we're going we're to tie it back in together. When you take two people and put them in a room, husband and wife or any other relationship, and their mind is filled with the care of their own life, it becomes impossible for them to dwell together in peace. And what it turns into is them cannibalizing each other. Not because they're evil people, not because they weren't a good husband or a good wife. It's because they weren't ever confronted with the care that God had taken for their life. And they never had the knowledge that their life was actually secure in God. It planted in their heart where it was rooted and grounded in that. So they were all the time worried about their own life. And if you're all the time worried about your own life, it's impossible to think about the other person or to even see the other person accurately or to even open your heart up to them. All you can see is what you're not getting or what you don't have that you need. And then both people do that and cannibalize one another. And to the point of the movie, the woman was so consumed with what she needed because she didn't know God that she couldn't even consider the value of the other person. Right? And, and that, see, and when you stand in the fear of the Lord... What'll happen is you'll find so you'll find yourself feeling so secure about your life that it sets you free to have loving relationships, whether it's friendships or whether it's husbands and wives. Because I promise you, we all know. How many of you lived your whole life without having any problems in any relationships? <laughs> Nobody. Even people that you listen, even people you know love you. I mean a lot of us have been in here been married. We've actually vowed our love. Right? And the people that were on the other side vowing their love to us, some of them have done some things that felt very hurtful and painful. Isn't it? Isn't it true? Now, if we don't feel secure in God, and that will wreak havoc in those relationships, it doesn't matter how much love was initially present. Because every single time one of us fails the other one, or every single time one of us does something that the other one interprets to be hurtful or not right or in the way of what's good, that will just destroy the whole thing forever. But if you're standing in the fear of the Lord and your life is secure, you can even have something that happens that stings, that doesn't feel nice. Heck, you can even find something happened that wasn't born from above. And you won't find that moving you off of your fondness or your love for the other person because God will be ministering to you in that place about how you have everything in Him. And you'll find your life healed from whatever horrible thing happened, right? And it allows you to, to have loving relationships. And then you can come to understandings that way, right? And you can actually grow closer together. And that's being a faithful steward. That's part of being a faithful steward, yes. Yeah. It's actually a a good bad movie 
because it really does illustrate that point, how far a person will go to preserve their own life. It, it, and it, it, in the end of the movie demonstrated how bankrupt that way of thinking was, yeah. not just in a spiritual way, because she got everything that she wanted. And you know what she was there for? Her brother was dying, and he needed a transplant. And he wasn't going to be able to get the transplant. And so he was going to die. And that's why she was doing what she did. Right? Well, she went home with the money. And guess what? He had killed himself. Because they denied him the transplant. And he was just dying a slow, painful death. Oh, my goodness. And so he overdosed. I'm glad I didn't watch it. No one's going to watch it anyway. You're not going to be able to find it. It's some obscure movie. Like, none of the actors in it I had ever seen before. I thought I know what happened. <laughs> Sorry, Thomas. <laughs> oh my God. But well, before we stop, I want to let Thomas. Do you do you want to add anything about what you initially started? Because I don't want anything that I said or what was said to take away from the point you were trying to convey. And so, if there's something you want to add at the end, you'll get the last word. Well, thank you. Not directly on that point, but just to to uh, trust that. God who started by implanting faith in you is actually gonna perfect it. He's gonna he's the author and the perfecter of the faith. Yep. So <clears throat> look, when I said I enjoyed reading the Bible, there were times I didn't enjoy reading the Bible. Because when I read it with a carnal interpretation, it made me feel bad about myself and God. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't have the ability to change that in myself. But God who's the author and the perfecter of faith in you, can change that. And he can make you enjoy understanding the truth that's in here. And so I would say just rest in that. Just just trust that, that there's a dynamic at play in you if you have Christ in you that is going to, the truth is going to do its own work. I'll sum it up that way. The truth will do its own work in you. Yeah, glory to God. And Thank I'd you. like to testify that Cardamom is a very important ingredient in any good Swedish pastry. I worked in a Swedish bakery for four years, and I know that to be true. <laughs>